It's Easter and y'all look great. Thank you for coming. I am uh, delighted to see you. It's always uh, the highlight of my year is Easter Sunday and I, uh, y'all never let me down. Uh, but I do want to kind of give you some context and remind you uh, of the, the broader context for me at least and for a lot of us in our uh, denomination. Last uh, Monday, two weeks ago yesterday, uh, a good friend of mine who is the associate pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church uh, in Nashville was hiding in his closet about this time of the morning. He was hiding in the closet of his office because someone had shot their way in through the door and was wandering up and down the hallways looking for uh, children to kill. And his children were in that building, and he was terrified for them. He was terrified for his own life. He was feeling all the things about the guilt, and should I go out there and stop her? And if I do, am I just going to die? And he was just feeling all the things, the shame, the fear, the, the awful terror of death. And later that week, he was talking to his counselor, a friend of mine named John Cox. And he said, Dr. Cox, honestly... Am I going to get better? Is this just going to be a shadow over my life forever? And John said to him, he said, uh, he paused for about five minutes, just a long time. And he said, Ryan, this is not something Jesus does in the margins of his life. This is his specialty. This is where he got his Ph.D. He is Jesus, comma, the Redeemer. And I promise you, if you will stay with him, he won't stay up in heaven. That's not what he's like. He will come down and get in the mud and the mire and the tears with you, and he will heal you. He's real. That may seem like a heavy illustration to open an Easter sermon, right? We're supposed to be talking about white shoes and pink jackets and bunnies and duckies and chicks. Uh, but, you know, it's a real world we live in. And, and, and bunny, uh, chicks and duckies are terrible gifts. They grow up into nasty birds. And uh, life is a nasty uh, thing. And the message I have for you is, is, is profoundly good news if you believe it. Uh, if Easter is true, if Jesus got up from the grave, a real person a in his body, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary and Joseph, if he got out of that grave, then there is hope and healing for all of us. And if he did not, Christianity is nothing better than a mediocre bedtime story. And you can find better. But if he did, and he did, if he did, then Christianity is real, true, deep, profound hope for truly, profoundly broken people like us who need it. Please stand as we read this uh, next-to-last meal that Jesus ate with his disciples. We've been studying the meals that Jesus ate. And uh, even after his resurrection, he still took time to, to break bread and eat with his disciples. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 22, verses 14 through 30. 
That's not what we're reading. Sorry. Matthew 24. Beginning with verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does, who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a mighty prophet in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our priests and rulers delivered him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they'd even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, you foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. It's toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from them and their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And he appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. If this story is not true then we're stuck with a mediocre bedtime story. Honestly, it has a pretty terrible climax. But if it is true, then we've got a real, authentic, physical hope for real, authentic, physical people. Uh, the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is unexpected. The resurrection is unexpected, and everything about him is not what you expect. Uh, and that's important for a lot of reasons. Uh, the first reason is uh, they didn't, just notice, they did not expect him to be raised from the dead. Even after being told he was raised from the dead, they were like, yeah, whatever. And they go home. They begin walking home. This is over. In their minds, all of Jesus and everything he was accomplishing was over. They had lost. He was killed. It was done. And I say that to say this. Uh, sometimes 
we have what we call uh, a chronological arrogance. We look back on people of previous ages and go, well, they were kind of simple. They thought things like that back then. Now we're sophisticated. Now we know that people don't rise from the dead. <laughs> if you're sophisticated, then you know people have never risen from the dead. That was a shock then as it is now. He was dead. They knew that he wasn't coming back. They weren't in the graveyard all expecting it. They didn't believe it when they first heard about it. They didn't believe it when they second heard about it. They didn't even go check out to see if it was true. They just went home. They just went home. Jesus is not what we expect. The resurrection is not what we expect. And, and more than that, the resurrection is not really what we want. It's not what we want. Notice what Cleopas says. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the one. He was the one who was going to be our king. He was the one who was going to overthrow Rome. He was the one that was going to restore Israel to being a nation again. He was the one who was going to make everything bad go away. And he's dead. And that's how we feel a lot of the time, too. We're, we're just disappointed with the actual God that we have. We, we don't like the God that we have. Um, some friends told me about Monday when the, when the shooting happened in Nashville, and, and one of their friends responded like this, an unchurched friend responded, what good is a God that doesn't stop something like that? Haven't you thought that recently? What good is a God who doesn't stop a, a shooter from walking into a school? What good is a God who doesn't stop a car wreck? What good is a God who doesn't stop cancer? What good is a God who allows something like that? They had the same questions. What good is a Redeemer who's going to die? What good is a Redeemer who's just going to get killed by the Romans like everybody else. He was supposed to lead us over them. And what we see is that the true God does exactly what he says he's going to do. What did Jesus do? He opened up the Bible and said, this is exactly what we were told is going to happen. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. The weight of our sins was upon him. All we like sheep had gone astray, gone each one to his own way, and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of his all. And by his wounds we are healed. The thing that happened was exactly what God said was going to happen. And honestly, the tragedies of our lives are exactly what God says are going to happen. Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you're going to have great tribulation. You're going to have great troubles. But to be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He says, There's going to, the day is going to come when they're going to hate you, and they're going to cast you out from your communities, and they're going to hunt you down, and they're even going to kill you thinking that they're glorifying God. So don't be shocked when it happens. That's exactly what God said was going to happen. 
And he is the God of resurrection. He is the God who redeems after death. He is the God who takes awful, terrible, broken situations in life and puts them back together and restores them in a way that they actually accomplish something beautiful and glorious. And after the resurrection, when we have our loved ones in our arms again, we will look back over history and say, oh, it happened just the way it should have happened. That was beautiful. Not until then in many cases. I don't want to paint Pollyanna. But the hope is real if the resurrection is real. That's the God we actually have. The God who makes broken things beautiful. Don't let your preconceived notions, don't let your expectations blind you. And that leads to the second thing that Jesus shows us here. He's patient and he's particular. He's patient. Isn't Isn't this a strange way for the resurrected Lord of all space, time, and dominion to spend his time? He's walking to Emmaus. He is walking with a guy. Uh, He's walking with a friend. He's talking to him about the gospel. He's walking with Cleopas. Why? (laughs) Because Cleopas needed to believe. And Jesus wasn't furious he didn't storm off he didn't be like he wasn't like you idiot i want to go find somebody who will believe in the resurrection he walks with him he spends at least an hour with him i mean it takes a long time to walk seven miles they weren't in a hurry they 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 spent time he could have been anywhere but he was with cleopas he took his time and I want you to know that because I, I, I know, I know without any hesitation, there are several of you in here who love the story of the Bible but don't really believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. I get it. I was in your shoes for a long time. I didn't even know I was in your shoes. I was already in the ministry, I think, before I really believed in the physical resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus was patient with me. And he's going to be patient with you. It's okay. He's not, he, it's not like a, a right now turn uh, or, or lose your opportunity to ever buy this again. He'll walk with you. He'll take his time. It's okay to ask your questions. We're told in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 3, I believe, but I'm not good at numbers. Uh, he, that he spent 40 days with the disciples presenting himself and subjecting himself to many proofs. I mean, can't you just see that in your mind? It's like Luke coming up to him, or Peter coming up to him going, okay, can I punch you? Will it hurt? Yeah, it would hurt. Can I try? Okay. Will you punch me? Okay, I would love to. I mean, what kind of proofs did he subject himself to before they, you know, if you're really Jesus, what did you tell me under the fig tree? I mean, what... What kind of proofs did he subject himself to? He's patient. And he does ask you to at least, or I'm going to ask you to at least try. It's a big deal. It's important. It's, it, if, if you ever do believe in the resurrection, you will 
mark your life as before I believed in it and after I believed in it. It's important. It, it means that there's hope and life and truth. It means there is beauty yet to be had. It means the best days are way out in front of us, not behind us. It means we have, we're, we have food to eat and places to see and experiences to experience that far exceed anything you might be giving up in this life. It means your best days are in front of you. If it's true, at least bother to find out. If you found a, an official document from the IRS in your mailbox tomorrow and it said you owe $4 million in taxes, you'd go, well, I haven't even made that much money. How can I owe that much money? But you would bother to find out. It's important. You would need to know if it were true. Bother to find out. I, I, there, there's books on that back table that back there that we'll give you for free. Bother to find out. He's, it, it, it's, he's patient. And he's particular. He's particular. And he tells us exactly who he's talking to. Cleopas of Emmaus. Right? This is kind of like, um, like footnotes back in that era. You know, they couldn't say, look it up on the internet if you don't believe me. So what did they do? They, they gave you specific people. If you don't believe me, go to Emmaus. You know where it is. Ask for Cleopas. It's not that big of a town. He'll tell you the story. He'll tell you, it's, he's a, it's a specific person. People matter to God. I don't know why. We have a hard time con being concerned for each other. But individual people matter to God. We matter. It's fascinating. I, a friend of mine named Nancy, she, uh, she lives in Nashville. A lot of my friends are part of that church. And uh, she was telling me about what that day was like for her, that Monday uh, she had not had. She had not gone to church the day before. She hadn't had time to have a quiet time yet. And she said, so finally, she just decided at 10 o'clock in the morning is when she was going to pray. And she said, from 10 to 10:15, I was on my knees praying. Actually, from 10 to 10:30, the very minutes that the attack was going on, I said, Nancy, that's amazing. In God's providence, your prayers probably saved lives. And she just brushed it away. Nah. God doesn't need me. I know he doesn't need you. I never said he needed you. He used you. That's what he does. I don't know why. I don't know the math of how it works. But I know you matter to him. There's, there's an important doctrine. Everybody knows the doctrine of omnip, uh, omnipresence, right? God is everywhere. That's why God has to be invisible. You know that, right? Because if God were visible, you wouldn't be able to see anything else. He'd just always be here. Um, God's everywhere, and that's, uh, you know, kind of thrown around so much that it's not very comforting. There's another doctrine, though, called God's eminence. And God's eminence, with an A, not with an I, eminence, uh, means that all of God is everywhere. All of him. It's not like his head is in Jerusalem and his big toe is in Tulsa. You know, it's not just part of him that's here. We're not, we're not stuck with the, the bad parts. All of him is right here, right with you. When you are alone, in your bathroom, in your bedroom, all of him is right there. And he cares about you. And it may not make sense to you. Sometimes we, we kind of just want to brush things off in false humility. But he cares about you. It matters to him whether you believe in him or not. Or not. You matter. It was Cleopas. It was Cleopas of Emmaus. And finally, 
Well, I, mean, I do want to just throw this one thing out because it's a short service today and have time. Um, you need to know that all of the disciples suffered for this truth. Cleopas would have been kicked out of the synagogue, which to you, you're like, oh, big deal, I'll just go to another church. That's not how it worked there. To be kicked out of the synagogue meant your best friends wouldn't talk to you anymore. Your mother and father probably wouldn't talk to you anymore. You were, you were out. You would have been persecuted. You would have paid financially. And ultimately, we know that all of the disciples were hunted, tortured, and killed, except John, who died in prison. And all they had to do to avoid that such treatment was to say, all right, you got me. Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead. That's all they had to do. And so if, if you're just tempted to say, well, this is just a lie, it's a story they made up, just, I want you to understand what you're saying. You're saying they made up a lie so they could get tortured and killed. That's not why we lie. I'm a good liar, lie a lot. People call me on the phone, find out it's a salesman. Do you have time to talk? I really don't. I'm super busy. You know, I'm on the golf course. I'm not busy, but as far as you're concerned, I'm very busy. We, we lie to get away from discomfort, not to get tortured and killed. It doesn't make sense. Finally, I, I, Jesus is not only particular and patient, but he's alive. He's alive. And we see this, the steps of, of Cleopas coming to believe, right? Jesus is going to keep walking. The whole thing is hilarious. You know, hey, guys, what you talking about? How can you not know what everybody in Jerusalem is talking about? The things. What things? Like, he knew. But, you know, you've got to make conversation. And now he's ready to go on. He's, all right, I've told you all I need to tell you. I've read the Bible to you, figured it out. And they're like, no, come in and eat. And he breaks the bread. I don't know what it is about that. It's almost it's so mystical and beautiful. I, I, I feel like we experience it a lot. Every, not, maybe not every time for you. Every time for me, when I break that, hold that bread up and break it to serve communion, you just feel the presence of the Lord come rushing in. And, and their eyes were opened. It was, a, it was a, a moment when finally everything made sense to them. Everything made sense. They'd been trying, they'd been reading the Bible, they'd been listening to Jesus, but it didn't make sense, and finally things fell into place. I don't know if you've experienced that. A lot of people experience that with their profession, right? Um, my son, I have a son who's studying music, and um, he, had, he is taking guitar in, in college, and he said, you know, all year, the first year, the, the professor just kept telling him, it's about rhythm, it's about rhythm, it's not about the notes, you're playing the notes, learn the rhythm, learn the rhythm. And he said, I had no idea what he's talking about. And then one day last spring, he started playing the rhythm, and he said it was like the guitar just opened, and I could play anything. That's what is happening to Cleopas. The Bible just opened to him. The world just opened to him. It's true. And he looks at his friends, and he says, were not our hearts burning when we were walking with him? Didn't we want it to be true? It's a fascinating concept. You've, you've probably experienced it. You wanted it so badly. You wanted it to be true. It's like when you find out that the same girl you like likes you back. You're like, really? It's true? And you, you wanted it so badly. And it's true. And, and then finally we see that they, 
they had to have been tired. But they're like, we got to go back. Seven miles is a long way. We got to go back. We got to tell them. It's a truth that, that, that forced them to act. And they go all the way back and they burst into the room and they say, it's true. It's a true that, truth that causes them to act. That's what this news is. The, the news of Jesus, is, it's good news. It's news that, that the dead will live again, that the sick will be healthy again, that the, the, those who are missing parts of themselves will be whole again, that our emotions will be completely cured again, that our relationships will be healed again. We'll be able to hug people that we know we ought to love, but we don't again. We will be able to live and see and experience God in a way that we've never experienced anything. Everything about life will be like the most perfect moment on earth. The the moments that flee flee away that you know you you almost get sad when you're experiencing them because you know they can't last. All of life in front of you is that. It is glorious. Because it's true. It's a truth that demands that you act. Cleopas couldn't just go to bed that night. He had to act. It's truth that affects your life. It's like if we checked our phones, like we all will in about six minutes, and uh, saw that Russia withdrew from Ukraine, that'd be good news, right? I guess. Let's just take it for granted that we're all for Ukraine. Um, You know, it's over. Great. Woo! Changes your life, not a bit, right? Now, if you lived in eastern Ukraine and you were no longer going to be in fear and you were going to be able to reunite your family and you were going to be able to, to live and breathe as free people and not worried that going outside might result in being shot, it would change everything about your life. And that's the kind of news this is. It, it demands a change in your life. You kind of, I mean, some of us, we, it's easy for us to go, yeah, we believe it. And, and I'm just, I promise you, you don't. If it's not changing the way you live every day, you don't believe it. And I just want you to know there is so much better for you. Oh, I wish I could just put it inside your head. There is so much, life can get so much better for you. Um, this may seem strange to you. It's funny to me that people love to brag about how long they've been in America, their family's been in America, you know. My family's been in America since the Mayflower. Um, well, the Joneses actually have, or the Brundages actually, have been in America for a very long time, but it's not something to be proud of. It just meant my folks were, my ancestors were taken out of prison and given two choices. You know, you can go back to prison or you can go to America. And uh, that would have been, must have been a weird moment, right? I mean, they'd never been on a ship. They had no idea what was on the other side of the ocean. All they know is that this guy who claims to have been there has come back and offered to take them with him. Look, none of us knows what's on the other side of death. We're all going to hold our breath and go, I hope this is true. But the one person who's been there and come back says, you can take my hand, you can trust me. 
There's something on the other side. Will you come with me? Will you believe? Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning uh, with joyful, expectant hearts. And we confess what you already know, that believing the resurrection is hard. It goes against everything that life tells us. And yet we want it to be true. Our hearts burn for it to be true. And I pray, Lord, for all those who doubt and struggle and don't believe, I pray that they, you would open their eyes to see it. And for those of us who do believe, but we've put it on the back burner and we've forgotten the, the worries of this life have, have just blinded us, would you strengthen our faith? Would you remind us that the very best days of life are still in front of us? Even as we trust you and take you by the hand. We pray these things in the perfect, precious name of Jesus. Amen.